Wow, what a morning. Incredible morning. I invite you to turn to uh, Romans chapter 7, whether it's in uh, your Bible, there's a Bible app, or you got uh, your old school and you do it by print. Um, weird to say that. Um, and as you're turning there, just uh, want to talk to you a few strategic things going on in our church. Uh, the first one is um, you've heard people talk just even this morning about what Christ has done for them. And uh, we have a seminar coming up here in a few weeks here in October, um, helping people to understand how do you take a conversation and, and be able to, to, to turn it around that corner, get around that corner to, to talking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done in your life. And uh, we would encourage you if, you, if you're trying to figure out how to do that and what are some ways to, to figure that out, that class is for you. And, and how do you understand, okay, what are the essential, essential elements of, of when you share about Christ? What are the things that need to be talked about? And so sign up for that. There's a, there's a kiosk out there. It's on that Saturday, uh, October 6th for two hours. Uh, check that out. Uh, the other thing that's going on, uh, three, three things, I think more. One is uh, the marriage study. And uh, we know that, that couples in our church, you, you, we have seasons where we struggle and there's difficulties. And this study is a, a time for those, maybe you're going into that season or preventative, you're wanting to just make sure that your marriage stands uh, stays strong, as it were. And so on October 8th, on a Monday night, coming up here, 6.30, the child care is provided. We have a study uh, for, for couples, and we want to make sure that child care isn't an, uh, you know, an obstacle to that. So check that out. There's also a kiosk there in the back as well in the foyer. Third thing I want to let you know about that's also coming up, this week kicks off the fall here for N2Y and Relevant. N2Y is for our children's ministry from K through 4. Relevant is for 5th and 6th grade. It's more of a, a youth group kind of feel for Relevant. And I uh, want to let you know that it happens right here in this building um, on Wednesday night, 6.30. Check that out. If your kids aren't registered to sign up for that, you can do that. Um, and you can find out more information either on the need to know or in your bulletin if you get that or have that in, in hand. Uh, one final thing, we've, we've talked about this um, and mentioned it, the Holy Spirit weekend. And we just want to make sure that you have that down on your calendars and really encourage you to prioritize that, get ready for that, be praying for that. Because as we're hearing stories of kids, it's amazing how many stories we're even starting to hear about what happens at the youth retreat. And so many of you students are talking about how you're hearing from God. The Holy Spirit Weekend is about that. It is about setting up a time where you hear from God and you receive things from Him. And I think what can happen in the Christian life is we just go, 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 and we never stop. And some of us, maybe you come from a background where, you know, the Holy Spirit was never talked about. Like, you just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. That was just weird you know, how, how do you talk about him and what does he do? And, and so your, your knowledge is pretty limited on the ministry and the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is for you. And uh, we'd encourage you to come on out to that. And if you're going like, what is happening? Trust me, we're all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have seatbelts on. I mean, we're not like going crazy and, you know, sprinkling gold dust in the air and people barking and things along those lines. Um, Come on out. You will meet God. So I just planted seeds of thought that I probably shouldn't have done. That wasn't part of my notes. Um, that's probably where all my notes should end, right about there. 
Romans chapter 7. Um, in America, as it stands right now, it is estimated that there are over 300,000 laws that you and I could break. In fact, before you go to bed last tonight, you are probably going to break at least one of those laws without even knowing it. There's that many laws in our nation. I looked up some of the laws here, and this is according to this website, so I, I you know, <laughs> uh, how's that for a, a resounding endorsement? But uh, legend tells that these things are true. So in Colorado, they have a law. You can own a catapult, you just can't use it. There's a law against using catapults in the state of Colorado. So for those of you who had your trailers hooked up and were headed out to Colorado to use your catapult, I'm sorry. In Topeka, Kansas, it's illegal to throw a snowball within the city limits. I know, right? Somebody probably got hit with an ice snowball and their daddy did something, made a law, I don't know. In Utah, this is really important, it's actually a felony to shoot a missile at a bus terminal. <laughs> These things are important to know. <laughs> so, all of you who have shot missiles at bus terminals, don't try it in Utah. In Washington, it's illegal to poach Sasquatch. And if you are caught with a dead Sasquatch, you will be fined $1,000. I'm just saying. <laughs> and the best one of all, in Chico, California, it is literally a law. They have a law that says it is illegal to build, maintain, or set off a nuclear bomb. And if you do so, you will be fined $500. My <laughs> The church, we're famous for creating laws. The, the church is forever creating rules and laws. Don't have long hair. Don't swim on Sundays. Wear long clothes. Wear these type of clothes. You can't own anything with bright colors. Every church must have pews in it. No other form of seating is allowed. Laws upon laws. You have to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, and any other time the church doors are open, that is a law. Right. Women sit on one side. Men sit on another. That's a law. Laws for this. Laws for that. Are, and it's not just a church problem. I, I like seeing that there's over 300,000 laws. There's a legalism in our country. It's in all of us. We, we create laws. We generate laws. It's this human nature thing. Isn't that fascinating? 300,000 laws. Like, who sits around and does this? Have you ever thought why there's so many laws? I mean, I mean, probably no, I don't. Haven't given it much thought until this last week. Why in the world are there 300,000 laws in our country? Why do we create laws? Chapter 7, Paul addresses this idea of laws. 
it's actually a very famous passage in the New Testament because he goes after an explanation of law and its influence and importance and role in life. And he had just finished saying that anyone who has faith in Jesus is no longer under law, but under grace. And and that seems kind of a dangerous thing because you're just setting people free to do what? Just anything? And so he actually comes back to explaining this. And he said this actually earlier at the end of, or in the middle of chapter 3, where he talks about the law and the role of law. And he said it again in a later chapter. And he's talked a lot about the law. But this is the first time where he actually presses pause on the whole letter to say, okay, look, let's talk about this law thing because I keep talking about it so much. Let me explain it. And so what Paul begins to say and explain starts in verse 1 of chapter 7. And he says, don't you know this, brothers, sisters? I'm speaking to those of you who know the law. That's what he says. So he's writing now to people who are very familiar with what we would call the, the Old Testament, especially the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments. He's saying, I'm writing to you. You guys know this, right? The law has jurisdiction, influence, rule, over everyone who lives, right? The law has jurisdiction over a person as long as they live. So then, a married woman is bound by law to her husband, and you could use this in reverse. A husband is bound by law to his wife. It doesn't matter. He's not making a point about marriage. He's making a point about law. So then, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, uh uh-oh, the law has jurisdiction, and the law says that she's an adulteress. But if she dies, like I just said, she's released from the law so that she's not an adulteress, or he's not an adulterer, though she is joined to another man, him to another woman. Paul is setting out a premise. The law only applies to the living. The law only applies to the living. So he uses this illustration of marriage, and he says death is a boundary line. Death is that line where the law can't go past it. Imagine You know, you've got this guy on a horse, the lawman, right, with his badge and the sheriff, and he's riding, and he comes up to the boundary line of, let's say, America going into Canada or America going into Mexico. He can't go past that line. He doesn't have the authority to go past that line. That's like death. There is a point to where, or that's like the law. There is a point to which it has no authority. No jurisdiction. You're out of your county. You're out of your city, right? And so he says death is like that for the law. Death is this line that says the law, you can't go past that. Sorry, your influence is over. Your jurisdiction stops here. So he makes this comparison, and then he draws a correlation. And he says this in verse 4. 
So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that you might bear fruit for God. For when you were in the sinful nature, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of your body. Sin was in there working and working and working to bear fruit for death, because that's what law does. It brings death. It says you sinned, you die, you die. But now, having been released from the law and joined to the Spirit, you bear fruit for God. So Paul makes this, this very clear explanation. The law has limits, and death is that limit. So I did this a couple weeks back, and I used a Lego guy, and it just didn't, I don't think it worked. So here's the thing. So when somebody is married and they die, right? They, I'm just going to show you, right? So we get in the coffin and we're buried, right? Legally, that marriage is, is done. The law does not apply, right? So... Someone who is now dead, right? Watch this. Christ dies. We say, Jesus, your death is for me. So I'm going to die with you. Spiritually, this is what happens, right? I'm going to die with you because Christ was killed, buried, and I'm now dead with Christ. So the law doesn't apply to me. Whatever law it is, doesn't matter. You... And I, who believe in Christ, that's the stipulation, his death and burial, the law doesn't apply. We're set free from the law. Does that make sense? So baptism is really what we just saw, right? They said, I died with Christ. I died to the law and, and, and all that that was and raised to life. Paul says you, we, in a sense, have, have gotten remarried to Christ. We're under an old marriage, the law, really bad marriage. You'd wake up every day and the law would say, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, you fall short, you fall short, you're going to die. Every morning, how many of us remember hearing the law say that, feeling that, knowing that? That's a really bad union. Not a great marriage to be in. And Christ comes along and says, hey, look, why don't you die to that? You can die to that through me, my death, and let's start a new union. Right? One where we wake up and we hear something entirely different. I've chosen you. I have made you worthy. I have made you holy. You will live. In fact, I want to give you life, the best life you could ever imagine, my kind of life. And what happens is we naturally, when we hear this about the law, one of the things that happens, and Paul asks the question, he says it right up front, he says, so is the law sin? Meaning, the law seems to bring a lot of bad stuff. The law seems to be like, why would you ever want the law, why would you ever want the law of God, because it's just awful. Look what it does. And that's what our culture does. Our culture looks at it and goes, why would I ever want that? Because all it says is I'm unworthy and I'm going to die. Right? And Paul begs the question, why is it 
that people would conclude this. And so he says, is the law sin? And he says this about the law. Certainly not. If I would not, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting except if the law had said, do not covet. But sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. One of the things that I even skipped as I'm going through this and I'm realizing i got to go back and hit this thing, he talks about this idea of us in this sinful nature. So when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were working the members of our body to, to bear fruit for death. So there is this nature that we all have, you see up on the screen, that every person has. We've all sinned, sin brings death, Man, woman, everyone is inherently corrupt at conception. And all people are subject to the consequences of Adam's sin. And so that's going on inside of us, churning and and roiling this whole sin nature that leads us to look at the law of God and resist it. And so what Paul says is, look, no, we need to understand, first of all, First and foremost, we need to understand what the law does. And what the law does, he says very clearly, verse 7, it, it shows or reveals sin. So sin is that sin nature that we have to miss the mark, to, to miss the moral law of God. It's an archery term, right? So you could shoot as much as you want, but you'll never even hit the target, let alone get it in the bull's eye. You'll, you, I, will always fall short of the perfect moral standard of God. And and the law is just simply that standard that says this is what it means to live a good, holy, perfect life. And the law just says, go this direction. And, And when we don't, the law says, yeah, you didn't hit it. You didn't hit it. You missed it. You missed. You missed again. You missed again. It reveals sin. Much like uh, what happened even this past summer, I had, uh, for some, most of you know, I had a back injury, uh, really bad May, and just had shooting pain down, life stopped kind of thing. And uh, so I end up going to the doctor, and they give me an MRI. And uh, they gave me actually the CD, so I took it home, and I actually tried to read an MRI. You ever tried to read one of those things? It takes a neurosurgeon, apparently. Um, I opened it up, and I could tell this was my back, but I couldn't read the thing. And so I took it to the doctor, and uh, he said, have you looked at it? And I go, yeah, I said, I, I couldn't understand it. And he kind of looks at me like, like what, what are you, a neurosurgeon? Like, do you even know what you're doing? So it was one of those, one of those nice moments of humility. And I said, yeah, show me, talk to me. So he explains it to me. In, in like five seconds, he says, this is your problem. He says, look at all of these discs. These are discs, 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 discs. I'm like, okay. He says, now look at this one. I'm like, wow, that's not good. And he says, yeah, that is pushing right against your spine. And it was like, it was awful. And he says, that's why you have so much pain. Now imagine me upon discovering that this MRI showed I had a disc that was bulging into my spine. I got back into my car. I drove over to Crystal Clinic up there on Route 18 by 21 right there. I got out. In fact, no, I drove my car into the building, and I drove it right in the MRI machine, and I just kept ramming the MRI machine because what? It showed that I had a problem. Like it's the MRI machine's fault? Right? But that's what we do. We look at the law and go, 
What in the world? I hate the law. The law is not the problem. The problem is we got a sickness. And like an MRI machine that can show even cancer cells, it shows our spiritual state. It's not the law's fault. Don't blame it on the law. The law simply reveals what is. That's one of the purposes of the law. The second thing the law does is verse 5 and verse 8 are fascinating. It says in verse 5, when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions which were aroused or awakened by the law. And then in verse 8, it also says, but since seizing opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. The law, like, awakened sin? The law produced sin? What does that mean? The law does, first, one thing. It reveals sin. Second, it activates sin. Let me say that again. The law activates sin. So what happens when we hear the law of God or a law, period? What do we normally do? Our backs get stiff. God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat from this tree. Wait, what? Why can't I eat from that tree? Why are you telling me I can't eat from that tree? What's about the tree? I want to eat from the tree now. I got to have the tree. Right? The, the fruit. That's what the law does to us. Galveston, Texas, they built a hotel right on the Gulf Coast. In fact, it hung over the water. And uh, the management was so concerned that people would fish from the balcony, they posted signs in all the rooms on the water side, do not fish from balconies. And guess what people did? They fished from balconies. The law activates sin. It got so bad, they had this nice waterfront restaurant on the first level, and people, you know, the weights for sea fishing are a little bit heavier than like your little pond weights. And so these people would, you know, drop their weights down. The wind would smack these things up against the window. So you'd be eating there having a little gray poupon, and then whack! And it literally broke the plate glass on several instances. So they kind of looked at each other and they said, we've got a problem, how do we stop it? What do you think they did? Took all the signs down. And guess what? People stopped fishing. We are messed up. <laughs> That's what the law does. Yeah, and, and we do it in the church, right? And, and this is so long ago, I can't remember who did this, but I remember in the old church when we were smaller and we were just, I mean, we, we fit up half a room. We filled up half a room. And then we went to two services. We, we filled up half the room in each service. So we actually put ropes down right, to, to section off the last eight rows, so it would feel like we were closer, and we used to do curtains, and all the ushers hated me because we did curtains to create this, well, that was a whole other thing. Anyway, we have these ropes down, no lie, I can't tell you how many Sundays I'd watch somebody come in, and they'd look at the ropes and go, lift it up, move it, and they weren't in charge of the rope committee, they weren't. <laughs> they would literally move the rope, and you'd see them go, you're not going to tell me where to sit. It would activate something. The law does. You see 35 miles an hour. Says who? Right? 
The law activates sin. The law reveals sin, it activates sin. Third, Paul wants to make very clear, it's not the law's fault. The law is good. He says, is the law sin? May it never be. He goes on in verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death for sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me sin of every kind, right? It deceived me. And the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and righteous and good. And he goes on, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? Certainly not. May it never be. It was not the commandment. It was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So the law is just good. And the law is saying, hey, this is what it is. And this is what's going to activate in you when you hear the law. And, and this is just the simple result of it. If we break the law, we die. That's just it. And this morning, as we hear these stories, I just want to conclude as we think about this, as we hear these stories, these stories are people that have been set free from the law. Amen. One of the logical questions is, is, if we are set free from the law and now under grace, so then what? We're lawless? Like you just go do whatever you want to? Jesus actually anticipated this question. Because if you're no longer under the law, then just go do whatever you want. And Paul actually anticipates this in Romans chapter 6. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. There's a new law. It's the law of Christ. The old law was on stone tablets. It was never in a person. God never lived in us. The new law is the law of Christ. And he comes and he writes it on your heart. He literally writes it in us, in the deepest part of our souls, because he comes to live there. And this new law is the law of love and grace. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first one. And love your neighbor as yourself. Second. And he writes that on your heart. You know what we could do as a country if people embraced Christ his death, resurrection, you could tear up all 300,000 laws. You'd only need two. You wouldn't have a problem. You just wouldn't. Is that going to ever happen? No. Because our country doesn't get it. This world doesn't get it. No matter how many laws we write, people are always going to be activated by it and try to get around it. We can write down every possible scenario and people will invent a way to get around it. And not just people, you and me. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's just so twisted. That's so messed up. And that's why we need Christ. And that's why it needed to be killed. The sinful nature, you don't manage it. You don't write 300 laws to somehow put boundaries on it. You kill it. It's the only way it happens. You kill it. It's dead. It's in here. 
It's the only way. And then, in this crazy, unbelievable turn of events, raised to a life. A life where we're under a law that says love. Love me with all your heart. Love me with all your soul, your mind, and strength. And then we're not consumed about laws. All the laws, we're just consumed with love God. Love others. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have set us free from the death of our sin. I mean, Lord, the songs, I've been set free. I ran out of that grave. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. I pray, God, even today for those, um, those who are still struggling and feeling like all they hear all day is, is this law that says you're not worthy and you can't do it. And, Lord, they would start to hear your voice that says, come to me and I'll save you. I'll wash all that away. I thank you for these stories. I pray that you would continue to speak to all of us, Lord, to, to hear these stories after stories of youth hearing from you. Lord, I pray that you'd be speaking to adults too, that we would hear from you. Lead us, Lord, lead us. Amen.